Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening, we just wanted to extend the warmest of welcomes. So kick back and relax as we continue through our sermon series. Well, hey, friends, it's good to be with you this morning. It's good to be with you online as well. I know a lot of you are joining us in a safe, comfortable place, so glad to have you with us. Uh, My name is Larry. I'm one of the pastors here. I wanted to actually give you a couple announcements as we're kind of getting into this new year. Um, This last year, I'm sure all of us know someone or we have personally experienced the loss of a person in our life. And um, I wanted to let you know that we have a really powerful support group and class that's going to be starting in February called Grief Share. And I think that it's actually an answer for many of you who know someone who have experienced this and you just don't know what to say or what to do. So I wanted to give you that resource that you can invite them to be a part of that. It's powerful when people can get into a space and say, I'm not the only one. Um, You can sit there in quiet. You can sit there in grief and celebration. um, And there's something just holy that happens in that place. Um, It goes on just about all year, but it's kicking off again and just starting over this February. So if you're interested in that, you can go to the info desk. You can go online. You can check us out out there and sign up to be a part of Grief Share. Other thing I wanted to tell you about is that in February, on February 20th, um, we're going to actually today collapse two of our messages in our book. I'll talk about it in just a second. But on February 20th, making space to do a worship and baptism service. Uh, I know that you guys love those. So the 20th, we're going to come here. We're going to worship. You guys aren't even excited. You're like, okay, good information. Uh, uh, we're going to do a worship service. If you guys have ever been a part of a baptism stuff, if you uh, yourself are interested in being baptized, we would love to participate in that with you. Um, it is so cool. It's so much fun. It's so celebratory. It's beautiful testimony, and it's just cool to see what God's doing. So if you, in this last season, maybe you did the This Changes Everything book and you're ready, or maybe you just felt like God just kind of stirring in you and saying like, hey, this is a step of obedience I would love to take. I would love to. We would love to participate in that with you. So we're going to do that on February 20th. It's kind of kind of in this Beatitudes conversation uh, and kind of stamp that as this thing in our church. And so really excited about that. February 20th, it's coming up uh, in just a couple weeks. That leads me to, if this is one of your first times with this, second, third times, we have a gift for you. It's this Matthew journal. We have been going through the book of Matthew. It's the first um, book in the New Testament, and we've been going through it. It's called expository. We're going like literally verse by verse, slowly chopping this stuff up, pulling things out of it. In this new year, we're in Matthew chapter 5, when we just started the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. We're on page 77, and uh, if you have that, you can follow along with us, but... It's dated, and some of you guys love that there's dates in here. Well, we're changing the date because of February 20th, so I'm going to collapse this week and next week to, to today, and then we'll kind of pick up again. I'll let you guys know next week because some of you guys right now are panicking because you want to know the exact schedule, and I just want to let you know it's coming. It's going to be a little bit different. So we got a lot of work to do today around basically one verse, and uh, we've been hitting throughout this series right here. We've come to the Sermon on the Mount that we talked about the Sermon on the Mount is the fact that this is probably the best known teaching of Jesus and the least obeyed. <laughs> People uh, have actually been frustrated that we're going through the Sermon on the Mount because it is so heavy and hard and overwhelming. And really what I think it does is it pokes at this idea for some of us that we just love God to be this snuggly, comforting, hopeful blanket and not actually be God, like this powerful thing that challenges us to to change and to do some things. And the reason is because 
He puts this crazy high standard. Everything is upside down from what we know I think. Everything is backwards. It's the upside down kingdom, as scholars call it, that Jesus brought into the world. He looked around at our humanity. He looked at the things that we value, the way that our hearts work and the, 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 our proclivities towards things. And he said, oftentimes that those things... Those natural things are opposite to what the kingdom looks like. He says, there's the, there's the kingdom of self, there's the kingdom of the world, and then there's the kingdom of God, and that the kingdom of God just looks different. So he starts out this Sermon on the Mount with what people call the Beatitudes. Is what we've been in. It's eight things, these uh, uh, proclaim, proclamations, these of a blessedness, or because this Latin word means for blessing or this happy attitude. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what true blessedness looks like versus what blessedness doesn't look like. And so he starts off, you'll remember, we're going to kind of build to verse six today. This is going to be the peak of the Beatitudes. He's building up to what we're going to be talking about today, and we're going to kind of just sit in it. But first, we've got to look at where we've been and kind of climb where we've climbed from to really understand the power of this. So remember, verse three said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so there's this, there's this sense that we need to come to the end of ourselves, that people who get into the kingdom of God are people that aren't going to say like, I'm in control, I'm God, I'm the hero of this story, but like surrender control. And they're going to come to God and they're going to go, I have poverty of spirit. I'm not rich in spirit. I I can't control my life. I'm not God. I can't control the universe. I can't make things happen. I can't earn my own salvation. I have to give that over to you. I can't be in your presence just by my good work. And so the poor in spirit people, they come and they just say, like, I'm at the end of myself. Very similar to, remember, uh, the Gospel of John. It's uh, in the New Testament where Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus misses it. He's confused because Jesus is literally saying, your first birth isn't good enough. There's no way that you can enter into the kingdom of God with your natural, with your first birth. And so we actually need to be poor in spirit. We need to recognize that we are poor in spirit. And now there's this understanding, right, that you and I, we have to come to terms with our poverty or spirit, looking at God and where we literally say, like, woe is me. Like, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a miserable, rotten, wretched, poor, pitiable, naked sinner, all right? This is the language Jesus actually uses in Revelation and and in Revelation. And this isn't the stuff that we think about in the middle of the night when we get up. But it's really a biblical posture. We don't get up and say like, oh my gosh, look at him up and I'm a poor, miserable, rotten person. But this is the posture. It's a declaration over our life that we're wretched, poor, pitiable, born, blind, naked sinner who needs Jesus to do the work because we can't do it ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that this is easy for us to adopt. It's actually really difficult for us to function in. It's actually really difficult. Here's why. Because I can come to church all day, I can come into a space all day, and I can talk about my own stuff. I can sit here and sing songs that I'm a wretched, blind, sinner, bad person, and that I need God. I can do that. But if you come up to me and say, hey, Larry, I just want to affirm everything that you're singing and that you're saying and that you're feeling about yourself, that you are a bad person, you're a sinner, you're no good, you actually need Jesus, I'm probably going to throat chop you. Like, I'm going to go right for the Adam's apple, Right? Because you're going to hurt me. And I'm going to be like, you can't say that about me. Like, what do, you, what do you think you're doing? I'm going to puff up, right? You can't tell me the things that I believe about myself. 
Because that isn't, that isn't poverty of spirit. There's no humility, which is why I would do that. There's no ability because I feel like, what we do is we feel like I gotta defend myself. If you come at me, you gotta defend it. Some of you in your families and your business and your professional life, whatever, you feel like you need to defend stuff. You say like, but I got like a reputation. I gotta defend these things. This goes back to pride. This goes, it means that you're not truly, that you don't truly have poverty of spirit. You're not poor in spirit. You're still rich in spirit. And they have something to defend. And what happens is, you know this, when someone pokes at you or hits you, you feel like you have to defend yourself. You lash out at them. It means you haven't really experienced poverty of spirit, the surrender. And so he goes on, in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you need to be poor in spirit. Then he says this, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. People who enter into the kingdom of heaven are the people who actually feel their own sin and brokenness. They actually feel their own sin and brokenness and pain around them. And our temptation is to just go through life and to be all puppy dogs, right? And ice cream and giggles and sunshine. And we chase after stuff. Like the things that feel good, the good feelings, the nice feelings. And oftentimes, we don't come face to face with the other things. And what we need to recognize is that I need to be a mourner. I need to mourn my own sin more than my own brokenness because that ultimately is going to be good for me. Let me illustrate it this way. It's last year. I think we did somewhere around 55 funerals here. And unfortunately, there's a handful of those that were really young people. And I want to tell you as I watched that or I participated in that, that these young people, these students uh, just graduated from high school or high schoolers, when they came here, they were asking heavy questions. They were asking the deep questions like, what is life about? What, what does this all mean? Is there a God? Is there a turn in life? What is spirituality? What is heaven? Is there a hell? Where is he? And Ecclesiastes, the, the writer Solomon, he writes, it's always better to go to a funeral than a wedding. It's always better for your soul to go to a funeral than to a wedding because here's the thing. These kids, when they're mourning or when we're mourning a friend, we ask deep, the infinitely important, eternal questions about God and our own soul and heaven and hell. And, and you don't, if, you, if you've done this, you don't do that at a party, right? When you're like at somebody's party, you're not like, hey, I was just sitting here just kind of contemplating the depravity of my own soul and like what happens like where we're going to be and what this looks like. And that's what he's talking about. I'm, I'm not wondering if there's a God, but the Bible goes, it's good to go to that place, that dark place, the place of mourning, because that's when you're going to want God. Have you met somebody who's gotten a diagnosis? They're mourning then their own sin, their brokenness, mortality, right? Just this last week, we, we experienced COVID more than we've ever experienced it locally. My son's grandma just died from COVID just this week. And so what did we do? Sat there and actually said like, what is mortality? Like, what is, my, what, what is this like? Like this stuff could just go away, right? And, and we asked those questions and that's what he's saying. It's good to go to that dark place of mourning because when, then when we do, we want God. We're like, I need more of God right now. I just need him with me. And that's when you're gonna say, what's the state of my soul? And some of you have come here today right here, and you don't know the state of your own soul because you've never looked in the mirror and said, God, who am I? Like, who am I? Could I really be perfect enough to impress God? Why am I broken? Why do I, like, need things to, like, fill me up? Like, why is there this need that I need to fill? Why is this world around me filled with torture and war and destruction? So blessed 
and those who mourn because you look around at the world and you don't put yourself in some little isolated bubble or box or thing and pretend the world is all fine because my suburban life is fine. You actually tap in to the pain. Tap into the pain of the world and you go, is there a God who can fix this? That's where your soul goes. And that's what he said. People are blessed because they're willing to go there in their life. Then he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who are vulnerable. That's what that means. Those who open up their life authentically, who go, I'm not perfect. Because what does that do? I'm not afraid. I'm not perfect. And it gives permission. When you sit there and say, I'm not perfect. These are the things that I'm, I'm vulnerable about, I'm open with. What does that do? It gives other people permission to be like, me too. To like break down the wall and say, I can be vulnerable too. I'm allowed in. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to pretend that I don't do that or I haven't seen that or I don't participate in those things. Meek people open themselves up and are vulnerable enough to let you into their life and let their pain, let their pain of their life so that it gives other people permission. And he says, what happens is meek people are actually going to inherit the earth. This is really important. Jesus is kind of preaching out of this Jewish concept of this future, this future resurrected new heaven, new earth, not this disembodied cloud floating heaven somewhere place, but this re-embodiment where the future is for people who are meek, vulnerable, who believe in Jesus, this re-embodiment of their physical life where there's soil and mountains and trees and this new earth and they'll reign and rule with God. This is the future. And so Jesus literally comes out and he even pushes against this right out of the gate, pushes against like cultural mantras that were there then and even now. I know for a while, you guys have heard the term YOLO, right? It's cultural, you only live once, right? And he's like pushing against those things that we think. And he says, yeah, this is a cultural critique of this wrong. We actually live twice in this life. The things that we do with Jesus actually defines what happens in the next life. It's this eternal expression. It's about the choices that we make in this life that regard to Jesus to find where we go. And so he's coming out of the gate and he's saying, look it, you want to be a part of the kingdom? You got to be poor in spirit. You want to be a part of the kingdom, but you got to be someone who mourns. You got to be somebody who's meek and then you can enter the kingdom and inherit the earth. You will reign and rule with God. One writer said, self-renunciation is the way to world domination. So he's built this up. He's built this all up to verse six today. This is where he was going to slam it. He's going to land this whole piece right here. And he ends it with this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied or filled. Here's what uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said way back in the day of this verse. He said, if this verse is to you, one of the most blessed blessing statements of the whole of scripture, you can be quite certain you are a Christian. If it is not, you'd better examine your foundation again. What he means is basically that here's how we've pitched Christianity. We've pitched Christianity as like a bunch of stuff that we don't do anymore. You hear this, like, this is, this is a bunch of stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm part of this. We get inundated with testimonies and like we hear people and we kind of applaud and we framed ourselves to really believe that Christianity is just a bunch of stuff that we don't he- do anymore. And so you hear people and they say like, yeah, I used to do a bunch of things. Like you hear people say like, I used to do a bunch of drugs, but I don't do drugs anymore. I used to sleep around, but I don't sleep around anymore. I used to listen to Madonna, but I don't listen to Madonna anymore, Right. <laughs> right? Uh, and, and then we go like, oh, yeah, that's so good. Like, no banana, no sleeping around, no drugs. And we're like, awesome. But the problem with that is that we frame Christianity as a list of stuff that people don't do anymore. But Jesus comes out of the gate and he says, those are negative affections. 
Those are negative affections. Those are the things that you don't do. Christianity isn't about a bunch of stuff that you don't do. It's about this positive affection of what you do do. What do you do? And why we do the things that we do. Do you really love God himself so much that you hunger? That you actually hunger like you're dying of hunger and thirst. This is what these two Greek words mean, that you hungering thirst, like, do you actually love God? Notice, not the things of God, not the results of God, not the gifts of God, but do you love the giver when you hunger and thirst? Do you actually hunger and thirst for him? It's not a bunch of stuff that you don't do. It's the positive movement towards you actually passionately moving towards him. Now, let me give you this illustration. It's in Psalm 63. You can go there in the Bible if you want. If not, I'm going to throw it up on the big screen. In Psalm 63, this is a beautiful psalm by David. And David illustrates this point. He loves God. He is not a perfect person by any means, but he loves God. Like, he just wants God. Like, I just need more of God. Like, he is someone in the Bible that you go throughout the Bible who actually loved just spending time with God. And you can consider this in your own life. Like, how much are you, how much are we actually spending time just in the presence of God? Not asking him for stuff, not giving him a list of the things that we need, or this is what I need you to do, or do this for me, but just saying, like, I just, I just want to be in your presence. I just need God. Like, I just want you here. Like, I'm going to this place. I'm going to show up at work. Can you just, I just want you here. Can you be with me, Right? that you're just in the presence. And this is what he's talking about. He's, he's talking about in Psalm 63, do hunger and thirst. And so here's what David did. He constantly, I mean, you read throughout the Psalms. You see this. He says, this is his fascinating life. It says in Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Recognize this. I seek you, not your stuff, not the results of knowing you, not the blessings that's going to come, not bless my life and my family and my business. I seek you, you, right? My soul thirsts for you. My soul faints for you. And so what we do is we tend to spin this in other ways when we talk about heaven or like when we read about it in the book of Revelations, it presents this picture of heaven where it's like you get God, You get to be in the presence of God, just holy, 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 just I'm in the presence of God, the lion and the lamb. And we're like, yes, this is what you get. Like when you get him, you hunger and you thirst, this picture, you get to heaven, you just get God. And we spin this and we're like, but what else, right? And then we go, oh yeah, no, no, wait, you, well, grandma will be there. Like maybe your dog and, you know, like food, right? We did this in youth group. And we're like, oh, yeah, it's totally food. There's food there. Oh, yeah, I love food. Like there's just tables of food. And then there's like a field where we can play football. And you're like, oh, I love football. Like let's play catch. Like heaven's going to be awesome, right? This is what we, we, we look at. And we're like, yeah, we're high-fiving. Like this sounds so much better. And we're talking about this. And the Bible shifts and it goes, whoa, 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 hold on a second. The greatest thing about it is you get him, You get to be in his presence. And you can like picture this. If you go to heaven and none of that stuff was there, no grandma, no food, no dog, and you just got God, would you be disappointed? David, all he cares about is I get you. I want to, that's what I seek. That's what I thirst for. That's what I long for, not your stuff. My soul 
faints and it longs for you. So I get this picture when you read the, the Psalms right here of just this thirst and hunger. Um, 10 years ago, I went on a trip to Uganda with a handful of people. And for some reason, there was a giant mountain and everyone's like, let's go to the top. <laughs> it's a horrible idea. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm an athlete. I, can just, I have no water and we're now going to hike up like thousands of feet up this giant mountain. And you know, I'm an athlete. So I'm like, yeah, I got this. I didn't even have to train. So we go up and I, I might die. Like people are looking at me thinking I might die on the way up. Larry's not going to make it. And I don't know, I, this is the first time I've experienced real thirst, like real thirst. I finally got up to the top, so I was triumphant. But when I got up there, I didn't even have anything in my mouth to be able to speak. Like it's so dry, I needed water. So I'm literally up there on the verge of death making weird noises like, whoa, 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 whoa. I can't even figure out how to get water that's going on. And someone literally comes over and is like pouring some water in my mouth. And I'm like, oh. And literally, I felt life entering my body. It's the first time that I was like, water is life, right? We're all like happy. We're like, I drank my 48 ounces today. Like we're drinking water all the time. But like real thirst and parched. I would have done anything for the water. And it gave me this like life that I expected. And then I know I was totally out of it because then it was like, there was a guy up there with a gun. I'm like taking a picture. I'm like, look what I did. It's so weird. Um, <laughs> but water, I felt my life, my body come back to life. And then I was like ready to go. I was ready to do these things, but I needed it so bad. In the Greek that Jesus uses for thirst and hunger, it's that if you don't get it, you die. That kind of thirst is how we relate to God of the universe or not. This is what Jesus is saying. You know, you know who's in the kingdom of heaven? The people who hunger and thirst for righteousness in this dry and weary land where there's no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and your glory because of your steadfast love is better than life. That is insane. That the love of God, that he would trade out his own life to get the love of God. Would you give up your life and say, death is to gain? Death is, what kind of life are you living? What, are we stuck living this religious, burdensome life where the only thing about God is that he gives us, me this begrudging submission of the things that I just have to give up, right? That I don't do them? And he just, just asked me to not do these things? That's how we tend to think, but not as someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Because when you're hungering, when you're hungering and you're thirsting after God, this is what you get. You get God. I, I don't, how, many of you, um, <laughs> how many of you have ever had a near-death experience where you're just like, well, that could have been real bad, right? A couple of you guys. I'm glad most of you haven't experienced that. It's not fun. It's scary. So I uh, had one of those, and uh, buddy was driving. Unfortunately, it was an accident. Could have been real bad. It's one of those where you're like taking deep breaths, being like, no, that was going to be the one. That was it, right? And you, you, if you've ever done that, you can imagine where you're just like, whew, you're wide awake, right? And, uh, you know, we get to talking for a second. He's like, oh, man, that was crazy, yeah. And then he goes, it's okay, man. I would have been good. Like, I would have been in heaven. And I was like, really? Like, how do you know that? He's like, well, like 15 years ago when I was at summer camp one time, they said, pray this prayer, then you'll be good be heaven. And I was like, what? Right? I looked at him and I was like, what? You, you, the last 15 years, your life is a mess. You've been all over the map. But here's the problem, friends, is we come at stuff and we go, what's the lowest denominator? 
And that's what Jesus is pushing back at right here is like, what's the skin of my teeth? How can I just get into heaven when I die? And Jesus is going, that's not what a disciple asks. They thirst. They hunger for more of God every day. They don't ask, what can I get away with? They thirst that the people who get into the kingdom are people who hunger and thirst for this thing so much that they can feel it. And then it just, it, they can get as much as they want. They can keep coming back because he's infinite. And if you want more of him, you just go and get it. And so you're like, how do I get it? You go deeper, you spend more time, you pray more, you study more. That's what it looks like because he's infinite. He's infinite. He's infinite. And those who hunger and thirst, their life depends on it. I don't want to be the lowest common denominator. I want, I want this, I want, I want what he told me to get into. I want, this isn't what the vision, this isn't the vision that Jesus has for us. You know what it's like? You know what this is like when we just kind of like dabble at it? It's like we're nibblers. We nibble. We don't hunger. We, we just like nibble on the edges of Christianity. And I see this constantly, like where we just nibble. When scriptures start to like have authority in our lives over people and push back against the things they believe, they go, oh, 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 hold on, time out. I was good with nibbling. This has been fun. But now you're like pushing in on me right now. So I think I might be out. I see this all the time. And they start nibbling and, you know, kind of on the edges of Christianity, but they don't want to feast. They don't want to like feast on it because now it starts to have authority in my life. I got an email from someone a couple weeks, I get emails all the time. A couple weeks ago, from uh, somebody who was really upset that we talked about reconciliation. Like, how dare you talk about reconciliation? Now, what's going on is there wasn't a question of like, what does the Bible teach about this? Where is this authority coming from in this moment? It, it, it was more of like, this is what I'm choosing to accept and not accept about Scripture in authority. And I'll take this and I'll leave this behind because it's uncomfortable. And at that moment, what you're doing is that you're thirsting and you're hungering, not after God, but the God that you're creating. And it's a very dangerous place to be when we're just nibbling on the edges. And I'll tell you why it's dangerous, because at that moment, you start saying, you know what, I'll take this from scriptures and I'll take that, but I'm going to leave that out. And all you're doing is nibbling. You're just not a feaster. How many of you guys love a good charcuterie board? Yeah. Mm, the charcuterie. This is my, uh, this is my wife does them all there. My kids love charcuterie. They're like, charcuterie, we got to do it all the time. Super fun, super creative, but you're just nibbling. You're just grazing all the time, right? You just get a little bit of this. You, they, they like love that. And they're like, I want more of the ammo crackers that are covering the frosting. You're like, you're not eating anything good. This thing smacked me in the face uh, right after Christmas. So Christmas is like a long, heavy season for us and for me, and I want to treat myself. And so um, we had gone through all the Christmas Eve services and I had gone to Costco and I got a really good piece of like prime uh, ribeye steak roast that was going to smoke for hours. It was going to be the thing. I was so stoked about it. I was like really a treat myself, big expensive cut of meat. And, uh, and so then what we did during the day is brought out the charcuterie, right? And everyone's grazing and nibbling. And then what happened was, is all of a sudden it's like, I've been working on this thing, so excited because we're going to feast like we are. We're going to feast on this bad boy. And it comes time for that. And it's like, okay, guys, like it's getting ready. It's going to happen. And they all go like, well, we're not really that hungry. We've been charcuterie all day, right? Just been nibbling. What happened? 
We missed out on the feast, like the thing, the main thing, because we just want to kind of like nibble and do the things that were comfortable and, no, nah, I don't really want that. I don't kind of want this thing. And it's these things that we choose. We're not, we're not hungry for him. You're, what happens is, is you're hungry for a religion made in your own image when we're just nibbling on the edges and we're not feasting. And here's why this is terrifying, because we can become a product of our cultural moment. Right now, we are all part of a geographic moment where we have certain convictions about certain things. When we start writing off God of the universe and the authority of scripture based on that moment, things get messy. Timothy Keller, he's a pastor in New York, author, wrote The Reason for God. He says this in there. He says, be very careful to not write certain things off about God. Partly because don't you think if God existed, he would actually probably disagree with you sometimes? Right? Like, don't you think if God really existed, don't you think there might be things that he believes and wants from your life that will scrape up against you once in a while? Now, some of you might be in here today and you're like, or with us online, you're like exploring this whole thing and you're like, whoa, this beatitude thinks is heavy. This is too heavy. <laughs> this is a lot. Like, how to be a part of this? Well, I'm going to tell you good news if you're here. This is why it's so beautiful with you because guess where you just get to start? You just start at the beginning. You just start with poverty of spirit. You just get to start today with like, I'm poor in spirit. I can't do this thing. I, need, I actually need God because he's the one who can get it done. And that other stuff just starts to come when the spirit begins to shape you. And that's when you start experiencing the, the mourning for things and the meekness and you hunger and you thirst, those are things. But you just get to start today with poverty of spirit. And so when he says, when you thirst for righteousness, there's three levels of righteousness that'll leave you with. Sorry, you're gonna have to write fast and wrap it up. Okay, here's the three I'm gonna leave you with. There's a moral righteousness that happens in your life. There's a social righteousness that happens in your life. And there's a gift righteousness that happens in your life. The moral righteousness. When you hunger and thirst, you begin, your spirit begins. You get this tug of that when you're participating in things and the things that you're watching or you're saying or that you're part of starts to like tug and push against that when you're hungry and thirsting, that moral part of you that is going to be conscious in making decisions that the Spirit goes, hey, this isn't what actually is going to fill us. It's going to make us feel satisfied. And so we adjust from that. The other righteousness that we get is there's a social righteousness that happens in our life when we hunger and thirst for it. This is actually beautiful that we're talking about this weekend because it's why we're celebrating holiday this weekend because of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the work he did. This was so powerfully important to him that this social Righteousness that when we hunger and thirst for God, that we hunger and we thirst for righteousness socially. That's why we do like generous giving in a food pantry and that we believe in justice and we try to fix, help fix sex, sex trafficking and we care for one another. We want to one another, another and look like the kingdom together. So when we hunger and thirst, this social righteousness, this happens in our life. And lastly, there's a gift righteousness. That happens in our life. The Bible is very clear about it. You can't earn favor in front of God as much as you want perfection in your life. You can't earn it. So you have to get the righteousness of Jesus put on you. When God, that's what he says in the book of Colossians, it talks about this, that we are in Christ. When God looks at you, he looks at you through the filter, through the lens of Jesus, that he's your only hope, that he came, he died, he rose again. And there are people in this room that have not given their life to him yet. And at this moment, at this moment, you're faced with the crisis of, are you poor in spirit? 
Are you poor in spirit? Are you rich in spirit? And you're just trying to do it on your own. Jesus says, the only people getting into the kingdom of heaven are those who abandoned that. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you that um, we can really never be satisfied, that we can continue to hunger and to thirst, and you will fill us. You will satisfy us. We can keep coming back to that same well. God, thank you. Thank you that um, you've turned our kingdom upside down that you've invited us into the kingdom of God. And may we come here today, poor in spirit and be filled with you. May we mourn. May we be vulnerable in front of you. May your spirit work in this room and give courage and comfort and faith and joy and peace and healing. Whatever you want to do, we're open, God. We're in this space. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in this place on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. And this concludes this week's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed spending some time with us. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our YouTube and find us on Instagram at NGATECF. See you next week.